everybody. Welcome to another Eduing podcast. Today I have the Ultimate Geek Squad in the studio with me, the Senior Maths Department at Education Incorporated. And what's precipitated this event is the very unusual occasion of one of our maths teachers leaving, and that's Mr. Mudlier, Julian, who is planning on becoming a professor, and his step to doing that is finishing his PhD and uh, teaching matric maths at the level that he is, and AP maths and trying to juggle his PhD seems to be a step too far. He's done it for one year. I think we've almost broken him. But in the wings, we've had Miss Snow, who with her XI degree and some enthusiasm and teaching experience under her belt, um, as well as helping with the AP Maths program at Edgewink this year, is stepping up and taking the reins as it were. I think um, Julian, your shoes seem to be well filled with her, I think. I do. I think she's learned a lot over the years that she's been here. Yeah. So, Misna, how are you feeling about the new prospect? You know, math lit for an XI brain seems to be a waste, hence the <laughs> AP maths is part of it. But share perhaps your experience of that journey. I know that you actually are quite a fan of math literacy. I was actually surprised by teaching math lit. The topics can get quite intricate. You really realize how applicable it is in real life. And, I mean, I don't think there's any other subject that teaches you how to calculate income tax. But even other than that, you've got all of your measurement systems where you're working with real life situations all the time and analyzing them. So it gets really fun and the kids enjoy the subject, which is really good to see. And it's also been quite a creative space for you in trying to make it relevant. I have witnessed the baking that's been happened. And, you know, baking is quite specific about measurement. And if you get that wrong, it doesn't come out the way it's supposed to. And I know that you've tampered with their measurements and recipes to try and fool them. Yeah, it's quite fun um, manipulating the situation to get the desired effect of a teacher. Um, I've been able to really exercise the students' brains without them really realizing it all the time. And they've had immense fun doing it. So it's been great. But you're ready for the next step? I'm excited. I'm a little bit nervous, but it's going to be really, really fun. The kids at Edgewink really drive that as well. That's awesome. Julian, Miss Snow stepping into your big shoes. What are your feelings on that? I think she's established quite a good um, relationship with the children um, and she's interacted a lot with the learners who are going to be doing core maths from grade 10 to 12. So she knows them quite well. So I think she'll fit in quite nicely. Yeah, I think that the last time you taught some of these kids was in grade 8. Yeah, um, I've taught some of the kids that are going into grade 10 and grade 8. And then even before that, I've tutored a few of them here and there. So one of the things that makes Edwink a little bit different is we talk about the concept of entrepreneurial employees, kind of carving your own path, as it were, at Edgewink. Julian, you've been with us, I think it's almost five years by the end of this year. Yeah, about four and a half years. Yeah. yeah. And you came from the big, I think you came from a big government school before you joined us. That's correct. Do you want to talk a little bit about your path and what, what you've carved out for you and what, you're, what you've done in those four and a half years at Edgewink? Um, so I always thought it was important that for my own practice, I felt like I didn't really know the research that was out there in math education. Because of the small class size, I actually got to experiment 
and employed the findings from research into my actual classroom practice and actually try and think, how can I make maths more enjoyable, more relevant for my children? And I also think um, it also helped that over the four and a half years that I collaborated with a WITS professor where we developed COVID-19 tasks and actually implemented them in the classroom. And the kids really enjoyed that. So unbeknown to them, they were... It was a little bit of guinea pig lab, <laughs> yeah. lab, lab stuff happening there. That's good. I like the sound of that. I also remember the first time I had to have a conversation with a parent who was very nervous because Mr. Mudlier doesn't use a textbook in his classroom. And it's become almost a standard for our expectations of knowledge. Talk to him a little bit about not having a textbook in the classroom. It sounds like nothing really is happening, but there is a lot happening there. But it's indicative of something more. Um, not having a textbook to teach from. So just share a little bit with that. And Lauren, maybe you can jump in at some point. Yeah, I feel that if you have the textbook open, you're just going to rely on the textbook and read from the textbook. But if you created the notes yourself, you already created the examples. And it's more spontaneous in the moment you can actually develop your own examples in that space of time. And it's more interactive with the learner than if you're just reading from a textbook or do examples straight from the textbook. I think also that it makes it more relevant to the students. You can read, it becomes more topical. If you know that something is topical out there that they are having access to at the moment, you can incorporate it into your examples. Mm. Um, it can be quite intimidating for teachers when we ask them at the interviews, do you need a textbook to teach? The ones that say yes, we start questioning the content knowledge and their confidence in the classroom. Mm. We asked you that question two years ago, Lauren. What are your thoughts on that? I was honestly quite relieved that I didn't have to rely on a textbook because without the textbook, you're allowed to be creative and we'll often have students coming up with examples in the classroom and um, it gets them engaged. Mm. So when I've got eight kids in a class who despise math, to be honest, getting them to shout out numbers and be part of the learning process helps them make a connection to the subject that they might <laughs> not want to be a part of. Yeah. So it seems that one of the skills that is essential to be an edging teacher is making the teaching relevant to the students and being quite flexible in what is going to allow them to engage while sticking to the core principles of teaching. Oh, definitely. Would you agree with that, Julian? Yeah, I think it's very important to make it relevant to the learner's life world knowledge. Like, yeah. especially like with COVID-19, there was a lot of data being generated in that time. And to actually make the learner see, um, how can I link what I know in statistics with the COVID-19 data? I think that's very important. So not only in math literacy that it links with the everyday knowledge, but in math's core, you can think about different topics and how they can link for the learner. So if you had to list a couple of skills, you know, one column for skills and one column for qualifications, you know, for me, it's about being an adult, being a professional as the core skill and qualification. But, you know, if you were putting out words there for a potential wannabe eduing teacher, what, what are your thoughts on how to best prepare yourself for a position? And it's not just maths. It just happens to be topical right now. But you know what makes them successful or what doesn't. I think the first word that pops into my mind is passion. You have to be passionate about your subject. For example, Julian and I, our first priority is math. That's what we love. And teaching is how we express that. 
And that's true for all of the teachers at EduInc. Um, so that for me is the biggest part or the biggest qualification qualifications. <laughs> that's so, your most important qualification. And with that passion, obviously comes the, the knowledge and the depth of knowledge that is required to be comfortable not teaching from a textbook and to make exactly. things relevant because it's more about the skills as well. A hundred percent. Julian, what would you like to add to that? I agree with Lauren. Yeah. So a teacher, you need the right, how can we say pedagogical content knowledge? So in simple words, it's not just good enough that you know the content, but you have to try and make it accessible for your learner. Yeah. So if you don't know how to make it easier for a learner to understand, then you're not going to get through to the learner. So I think that's very important. So Edwin, we have spoken in the past about what, what kind of teachers we prefer in terms of qualifications. And unabashedly, we always say we'd like teachers that have an undergrad degree with an honors or even a master's, but with a PGCE mm. because they have a deeper knowledge um, and have taken the subject matter a little bit further. Do you think, you know, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's important that the teacher actually, let's say they did an undergraduate, but they did a PGCE specializing in what they want to teach. Yeah. And then by showing if you did like an honors or even the masters, you've actually gone deeper with your content knowledge. So other than the pedagogical practice, the practice of teaching in the classroom, has your math research and your masters and you ventured into your um, PhD, has it changed and deepened your knowledge of maths or was it more about the way that maths is delivered in the classroom? It's not about the maths content per se, but yeah, more about how, how you teach the mathematics. That So for me, what's important that I've thought about is especially about equity in your maths classroom, who's getting access to your questions? And are you asking specific learners questions only? Are all your learners getting an opportunity to participate? So I think that was quite important for me. And then how you deal with maybe unexpected learner questions that happen in your classroom, that do you know how to effectively deal with it or are you caught off guard? I think that's quite important. So this is a rabbit hole that I want to just jump in very quickly, <laughs> maybe just ankle deep and just ask are, one would equate more experience in the classroom with teachers being more comfortable to go slightly off topic and make it relevant and engaging for the learners, whereas less experienced or less knowledgeable teachers would be quick to jump back into what they know and are comfortable with. Mm. You know, for me, teaching is always about being an elastic band. Sometimes you need to stretch it and give yourself more time, and then sometimes you let it go. So what are your findings so far in that space or your thoughts on so that? So I've actually done research with Novus teachers. So they don't really like to deviate from topic. Um, but more experienced teachers, they are more willing if there's something that's unexpected to actually explore that in their lesson. But that's not, I don't want to generalize because there are some sure. Novus teachers who started who are very eager to work with the learner contributions in the classroom. Yeah. But I think it happens more with time and experience. I think it also speaks to the edging process. Um, technically, I am still a novice teacher, but I'm very willing to engage with the learners. It's almost a byproduct of the edging setup. And there's no way around it. You've also, it speaks to the confidence of the teacher. Mm. If you're confident in your knowledge, you're more willing to be that elastic band and stretch and snap. Mm. Whereas I think teachers that are more rigid in their thought process or what they've learned are, they, they don't want to stretch and snap because they might be undermined. That's true. I also think the small class size makes it easier that you can actually deal with 
these unexpected learner contributions. Because mm-hmm. when I worked at a government school, um, I was teaching like 35 learners and it's very hard and you got like 40 minutes per lesson. Um, if something unexpected comes to actually explore an, um, uh, unexpected maths concept. Sure. The thought of exploring unexpected math concepts puts chills down most people's spine. <laughs> but as I said, the super geek squad sitting here today. So that's exciting. Yeah, I love it. I think also just to create some context to your comments about I'm, an, I'm still technically a novice teacher. I think not all novice teachers are created equal. <laughs> you know, two years at Eduink has certainly thrown you in the deep end and you have a lot more experience over two years than some teachers have been teaching for 10 years. Um, and I know that you've, you know, through your PGCE and meeting other teachers and that, you know, people that whose trajectory is a little bit different to yours. So do you want to share what that's been like for you? It's quite odd. I have been in contact with various teachers who started teaching in relatively similar positions at the same time as me. And the amount of growth that I've experienced in comparison to them is astounding. I I can't really have many conversations about my career with them because they're so far behind. It I feel I feel sorry for them. Whenever someone talks to me about, oh, wouldn't you want to leave? Wouldn't you want to come work with me in this school, that school? Absolutely not. <laughs> so what has been that professional development? You know, on our on our recruitment um process, one of the things that we list is honors and recognition as part of the rewards for teaching, but more importantly, extensive personal and professional growth. Would you concur with that? Would you agree with what that statement? A hundred percent. Well, you're kind of the HOD of your own subject at Edgewink, and with that comes a lot of responsibility and you you get it done. Um, that in itself makes you grow. Other than that, we've got our hybrid setup that we execute very well one of the other things that i always say to the teachers is you know first year teaching at eduink is tough because you own hod you you don't have a department to rely on but you certainly have your colleagues to rely on and moderation is an important part of that you know internally you know you've got julian moderating you and vice versa because you have the skills you've also created a network of teachers in other private schools that are at the same standard that you're at and more importantly, you have direct access to the, the subject specialist in that subject with the IEB that you can have a conversation with. The communication within the Edwing staff is absolutely brilliant and there's a great support structure here. And then also with the collaboration that we can have within the IEB, there's no way for you to go wrong. There, everywhere you turn, there's support and um, opportunities for growth. Julian, your thoughts? It's been, you know, Lauren's been doing this for two years at Edgewink, you four and a half years in. Would you, what would, what would your feeling be on the professional development within the Edgewink community outside of your studies and things like that? Um, I think there, so as staff, you have like a, around 2,000 rand, I know it's a budget each year. So you can choose what courses to do. And if you teach back the course to the staff through the cross pollination, you get half the money back. Um, so yeah. I think there is quite a bit of room for professional development at Edgewing. And within the IAB space, you've been an IAB marker. I know that the school you came from, even though it was a big government school, was also IAB, so you had a little bit of experience there. Yes. Um, yeah, so I know in 2019 and 2020, um, I applied to be an IAB marker and I was accepted. So, yeah, in that space, there was, um, in terms of marking, I did mark NSC papers. 
even um, having your own teacher file and learning how to develop that and how cluster moderation works is quite a big step for a teacher because I didn't know that um, previously when I was mm. at Hyde Park. So there's a lot of things about the IEB, especially at matric level, that you will learn very fast compared to, let's say, if you didn't teach matric, which was the case for me at my previous government school. It sounds quite intimidating putting teacher files together in terms like cluster moderation. Mm. But in my experience, it's actually a mentoring and coaching process. It's not about getting 100% right. It's about best practice yeah. and people sharing and supporting. I had a lot of support um, from the person who's the head of the cluster. I got a lot of support when I first started as a maths teacher, and she showed me everything, how to put the file together. So within the IEB schools, there is a lot of support. They will help novice teachers out. So even if you were more experienced, they will help you out as well. Yeah. So we've we've spoken a bit about the qualifications. What are the skills that needs to happen? I know that stepping down into small classes sounds like a great space to be teaching, but there are challenges that come from that. And there's adaptation that the teachers need to to make because the relationship with the kids is different in small classes. And that can be quite intimidating at times too. Julian, moving from class of 35 to class of five or eight kids, what was some of the skills that you had to employ and adapt to? You'll get to know each learner individually because if you're teaching 35 to get to know each learner, it's quite difficult. You'll just know their name. So you'll get to know quite a bit about them. I was going to say you first of all have to be organized and then very adaptive. So that would be something about like having your lesson planned and relatively structured and then being able to bounce off of the relationships to be able to to fill in the missing words basically yeah so organized in creating a framework in which yeah. there is some flexibility and adaptability that allows for the relevance and the conversation and the student engagement so that it's not so rigid definitely yeah what does a teacher need to foster as a skill for themselves to be able to be organized and adaptable makes it a successful combination I do have a word, but I want to see if you guys feel the same way about it without preempting it. I want to say passion, but I feel like that's my go-to okay, word. All right. <laughs> Julian, any thoughts? I can't think of the word that um, you're looking for. I think it's, as you said earlier, it's about being um, a professional, a grown-up. Yeah. So yeah. you can't expect someone um, to baby you. Yeah, you're in charge of your own department. When there's deadlines, you need to make sure that you meet the deadlines timelessly. Yeah. So, for instance, if you have exam papers that need to be signed off by your phase head, you give it in advance yeah. and don't leave things to the last minute. Also, you've got a lot of assessments that you have to set yourself. So, for instance, I teach grade 9 to 12 maths, and there's a lot of assessments that I have to do, and I try to get teachers from other schools to moderate it. So you have to allow a lot of time to get back your scripts from the pre-moderation. Yeah. So it sounds like a lot less marking, but upfront a lot more preparation in the assessment and also planning it enough because assessment for it to be, you know, valid and fair and reliable, et cetera, mm. needs to be moderated and you need to give other people time to be able to do that. And if you rush it at the last minute, it's not going to be as effective as it should be. Mm. But then, you know, your marking is a lot quicker and you're not spending hours and hours and hours doing that. That's true. I remember when I was um, working at my government school, yeah, it took like for one class with 30 learners, it took like two hours. It's a lot of admin. It's a lot of admin. 
So the word I was looking for ties into passion. It ties into what you're saying about being professional and a grown-up. And that is self-awareness, self-knowledge, self-confidence, because it's your space. And if you're comfortable with the subject, you're comfortable with where you are. You don't see it as a threat when the gap between the learners and the students close a little bit into a more mentor-styled relationship than one that's got – there's a relationship there, which is important. And mm. I think – we all learn from Rieta Pearson that no one is going to really learn if there's no significant relationship that's happening. And it's, you know, it's quite unique at Edwin because the teachers and the kids have a relationship and they're close and they know each other. But at the same time, if you ask our kids if the teachers are your friends, they'll say, no, that's not appropriate. Mm. They're friendly towards me and they know who I am, but they're my teacher. And there's still a, a vast amount of respect that is afforded to the teachers, but it's a lot more relaxed and a little bit more casual. Mm. Yeah, it's important to maintain that boundary. Because it's very easy for the, when I, when I taught in large classes, there's a strict boundary, but I noticed that Edu Inc., it gets blurred a bit. So you have yeah. to be very careful that, as you said, I'm friendly towards you, but I'm not your friend. Yeah. Yeah. And at the same time, being friendly towards you makes you approachable. You know each kid. And even as the head of the school, I know each kid, not just their names. I know what, what buttons to push and, what leverage to apply and what their interests are and things like that. And that's so important, especially in a subject like math, where a lot of students feel invisible. They feel seen in our classes. And because of that, they are willing to engage. Mm. I mean, that's quite important what you said, that a lot of learners might feel like hidden figures in other classrooms and they hide in the background. But at Edu Inc., because it's so small, there's no way for them to hide. (laughs) So I think that's quite important. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. the classes are small enough when you say, do you understand? And they're not in their heads. You can see in their eyes that they don't. And you yeah. go, I'm glad that you understand, but I'm going to revise it once more just to make sure that everybody's <laughs> on the same page. Another thing that's really nice about the small class sizes, as we we're discussing the marking, is the kids get almost instant feedback. As they've done the assessment, it gets marked and within a day or two, they know where they went wrong and they can correct it before mm. it's left their brain. It also means marking happens in the class real time so that that feedback on the work you're doing is instantaneous and there's auto-correction. Yeah. You're not practicing the wrong stuff. You're yeah. practicing the right stuff, which is really good. I think just to add to that, because it's so small, you can actually give them very detailed feedback, like knowledge routine you did quite well, but maybe complex or problem-solving you're struggling with. Yeah. So I do that for each learner. So as you said, you can give more detailed, specific feedback. Yeah, I love going into detail about the cognitive levels of each child's exam and analyzing it and then going through it with them. So I'm expecting a graph. Thank you. (laughs) There are graphs. (laughs) (laughs) What also strikes me is that other than knowing each child, it's not by accident. You know, the way that the classrooms are structured, I know when I walk into either of your classrooms, you're sitting with the kids in a group working together. You're not standing at the front of the classroom with that traditional, you know, sage on the stage kind of scenario. You guys are actually sitting with the kids. There's a kid sitting right next Mm -hmm. to you on either side. Those are the ones that you have to keep your thumb on them. But um, I think that makes for a very different learning environment too. True. I know in traditional classrooms, we're very used to having a teacher table. Like I had, I was working at a government school. But when I came here, it was a bit of a culture shock where I saw there's no teacher table. You have to sit with the learners. Yeah, you get a teacher bookshelf to put your stuff on. Yeah. yeah. It gives me a, a vibe of um, being in the trenches with them. And yeah. I think they, they feel that camaraderie. And it motivates them a lot. Yeah. It also allows you, I think, to keep your 
your finger on the pulse of what's happening in the class. Oh, definitely. You, you know, know everything that's going, going on. on. Yeah. Lauren, you threw in a, a nice little tidbit, which I really want to chew on for a little bit. And that is you casually threw in, we discussed the cognitive levels and I like that kind of thing. That's something that's part of Eduink's DNA is to talk about the cognitive levels. It's not just the what, but the how are you meant to demonstrate knowledge. And we share that with the students and it's part and parcel of our vocab, as we can see. What does it mean for you and how do you break it down for the kids so that it's part of what they're doing and understanding? You know, Julian also threw in there, I think you were using the math terms version of it, which is routine and practice and things like that. So just perhaps have a little conversation, enlighten the the non you know, math geek in the room. I'm going to say geek, but not math geek, <laughs> and just kind of tie that all together so that there's an understanding of what you're talking about. So within math, we break every single problem up into a specific cognitive level. We discuss these with the students throughout the teaching process from when we introduce the topic all the way through to assessment. Those cognitive levels are broken up into four stages. The first is your knowledge. That's just definitions, parrot learn it, and that's it. Formulas and things like yeah. that. Then you've got your routine procedures. Those are things you've routinely seen you can do. Those are just skills-based. So where does times tables fall into that? That would be knowledge. Um, it also depends on what grade level you're at. Okay. But at the grade nine level, it's definitely knowledge. knowledge. Okay. <laughs> um, then we've got, so we've got the knowledge routine procedures. Then we've got your complex or multiple step procedures. So that's anything that takes a few steps to do, anything that we manipulate the wording to make it more complex. And then finally, we have your explanation, your analysis, and that's really getting into the nitty gritty of why and explain and analyze. <laughs> so that that's the maths question that they walk out of the metric maths paper going, sure, that, paper, that, that question was unsolvable. And we've never seen something like that before. And we were never taught that. Do you want to add to that, Julian? Yeah, um, Lauren summed it up quite nicely. So yeah. Um, she talks about knowledge, routine, complex. Yeah, and problem solving something that's unseen in a way. It's an unpredictable type of question, but yeah. you have to integrate across different strands. Like I know in the paper one IEB question, you have to work backwards from a parabola to a cubic function. So that requires quite a bit of brain work to do okay. that. <laughs> but it's something a bit unpredictable because they sure. haven't asked that a lot. Yeah. And and that's the high order thinking that the kids. Yeah. So especially yeah. the complex and problem solving, mm. about fifty percent. Yeah, it's always a higher order than then uh, the knowledge and routine that Lauren was say, saying, like solve for x. That's something that you teach them in a class. Sure. You reproduce the procedure. Okay. Yeah. I think I have a better understanding translating it from you know the Bloom's taxonomy that we know with the non-math to the four levels that you guys have got and obviously some questions are tiered that they've got all four elements in it that you mark you can get some marks for the the routine and the knowledge but if you don't quite get to the end and I suppose that speaks to why we wish are working out so that you are getting some of the basic mm. marks even if you don't get the full so on the unsolvable problem there would still possibly be marks allocated for going through the process and and trying to you know demonstrate some of the routine knowledge and things like that mm. yeah the question scaffold quite nicely um and i mean all of our students will know working out is your most important and why do you think it's important for kids to know about the cognitive levels and the breakdown and how the things are structured well it's very similar to why working out is important it 
shows your understanding. It shows your um, procedures. It shows you can strategize mm. and really get into the nitty gritty of the content. Mm. Yeah, I agree with Lauren. So the learner will know exactly where they are in terms of their strengths. Are they good with knowledge and routine, but they maybe struggle with something with a multi-step procedure or something a bit unfamiliar. So at least we can help the learner. If let's say they're struggling with complex or problem solving, we know each learner where their strengths and weaknesses are so we could help them with, let's say, problem solving. Yeah, I also think that it doesn't matter if it's maths or another subject, but understanding how the paper's been structured gives you an element of control because mm. you know what to expect and it might mitigate some of the anxiety that's going into an exam. You always know there's going to be some higher cognitive level questions mm. that you've never seen before and really have to apply your brain. But, you know, we do the, the routine stuff first. We, we do the lower cognitive stuff, bank our marks, and then we move on to the stuff that is the bonus marks, as it were. They are the real brain teasers. Yeah, the way the IAB structures the exams, like the metric exam, section A, about 75 marks, that's really knowledge and routine. Then section B is more your complex and problem solving. It's very nicely structured, but compared to a DBE paper, in one question, you can have all the cognitive levels tested. They don't break it up into different sections. So it actually helps them get into the paper as well. Their brain starts working, they get through the cognitive levels one and two, and then they can, once they're warmed up, they can really get into the, the rest of the exam. Okay, get their teeth into it. <laughs> so it's it's section two that traditionally has more tear marks on it yeah. than, than, than section Tears one. that we can circle. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So like most things, Eduink, it's quite an unusual application process for teachers and essentially looking for three things. The first is your CV, so we know what your qualifications are. The second thing is your say certificate, so we know that you're allowed to teach and are qualified to teach. And the third thing we ask for is a video of yourself teaching. Mm. And I thought it might be useful to just share a little bit about what the most important of those three things is, in your opinion. It's definitely the video. We want to see you in the teaching environment, whether that be you teaching your a class or you teaching a group of teddy bears. Yeah. Mm. But the thing with the video, though, it is tough because you don't have learners in real time where they're asking you questions sure. or something's unexpected. Yeah. So the video is quite good. You get a sense of how the teacher is going to teach, whether they're traditional um, type of teacher or they're, yeah. they're going to use routine questions. But I think because it's not in real time, it's a bit difficult, not really interactive. Sure. Well, it, it speaks to the hidden curriculum there. And I think part of that is Eduink is a very tech school. And even if you don't have a teaching video and you end up putting your cell phone on a tripod and you're teaching mm -hmm. a concept to your teddies or your neighbor's kids, um, it's a great way to see that you understand how to actually digitize some of the analog process, which is very important and make it accessible for the learners. But it also is a little bit about problem solving too. Mm. It's a basic instruction. And one of our biggest frustrations at the moment is how many people do not send that video, and, and it's probably the most important part of of the process. And then the second unique thing is, you know, once um, Jackson and myself as the heads of the school have met you, because we like what we've seen, we then hand you over to a panel um, of teachers because – a lot of schools don't do that, but essentially it doesn't matter if the bosses like them. You're the guys that have to work with them. And perhaps just share a little bit about 
you've you guys have been on the panels even though you haven't you know in your words you're a novice which you're not <laughs> you have been um on a few panels um and julian certainly seems to have been on every single one of them they find him the most scary on the panels but just share about why that's such an important part of the of the process too i think it's to find out whether you're the right fit um for edu inc whether you're going to fit the culture um and we can probe you a little more to find out um if, are you willing to put in the effort um, to stay every afternoon? So if, like for Matt, there are quite a few learners who struggle. Are you willing to put in the effort to help the learners if they're not understanding a Matt's concept? Yeah. So we, just need, we also want to get an idea, do you have that grit, what it takes to be um, a Matt's educator? It's not easy teaching mathematics. There's so many things happening in the classroom. Um, you might get unexpected questions and to think on your feet. Sure. Yeah. In my interview process, the second interview was definitely the most scary. <laughs> I was a lot more nervous for that than I was for my interview with Jackson Gersh, okay. the heads of the school. And um, it really shows where the, the importance lies is with your colleagues. They are the people that are supporting you through the whole journey and they're the ones who ultimately have to work with you, as you said. So it's fair that um, they get to have an input on whether you become part of that team or not. So you spoke about cultural fit. What are you looking for? And how do you know that somebody is going to fit in culturally? You know, Julian spoke about that extra, that grit, that um, tenaciousness, the willingness to do the extra lessons and things like that. What other cultural things makes Edwin quite unique that you guys are looking for when it comes to new teachers? I think like the extra mural in terms of the clubs, whether you're willing to contribute to a club or something that's of interest to you. Like I know, um, Lauren, you have the, the club you were to talk about. Well, I think I've become one of the ultimate geeks in being part of the D&D campaign. Say it loud and proud. You, you <laughs> seem to be a little bit dubious about that. D&D. D&D. <laughs> Um, I was roped into it by two learners and my headmaster <laughs> and now they can't get rid of me. Um, yeah, it's, it's about being part of whatever's going on at the school. Yeah. Um, whether that's a club, whether that's putting in some extra time with a student, whether it's, um, attending an event or looking after the school hamster or whatever it may be rolling up your sleeves and, and getting stuck in mm. it's it's an all-in process and i think that's perhaps what you're looking for somebody who's going to be all in mm. it's you know one of the promises I'm, i make teachers and students two promises the first is that i will always be honest with them and i trust and hope that that's the experience you guys have had especially julian over the last four and a half years mm. sometimes it means difficult conversations um both ways but i think that's important for you know, a workplace that is comfortable and where you can be yourself. And the second thing is I say to par to the, the students and the teachers, you're going to work harder than you've ever worked before. And it doesn't necessarily mean just physical graft. It's on yourself in terms of growing and the responsibility you have towards yourself and growing. Would you guys agree with that statement? Definitely. I would agree. Yeah. I never thought I'd ever have to be a chief um, in visual aids uh, <laughs> running a metric exam session. But yeah, I got into it and it's a lot of hard work. But yeah, you'll do things that you didn't expect that you're going to be doing. So you have to be prepared for that. Yeah. Be prepared for the worst, but expect the best. Yeah. I think that uh, it speaks to 
you cannot expect kids to get out of their comfort zone if you as a teacher are not prepared to get out of your own comfort zone at times. And yeah. I think it's, if you had to sum up, you know, Edwin's culture in one way, it is just getting stuck in, doing what needs to get done. My personal philosophy, as you all know, just do it. <laughs> yeah. I think Edwink has created a new space for teachers, something that is non-traditional, something that speaks to the future of what teaching can look like. And while it's still difficult because teaching is difficult, no matter how, you know, whatever form it takes, it feels a little bit more rewarding, perhaps your personal benefit from it in terms of growth feels a little bit better because let's face it, we never paid as much as we should be for the amount of work that we do. So there's mm. got to be other trade-offs. And for aspiring eduing teachers who are still studying or people who want to be part of an amazing team and really develop their, their professional teaching career, I'm hoping that you're listening to what Julian has experienced over the last four and a half years, what Lauren has experienced as a, a new teacher and the, the career trajectory that she's had. But it's been well planned. Lauren knew before she applied to Edging what was required and put that into place, much like somebody who wants to work at a Facebook or a Google. They look at what the requirements are and they built that portfolio so that they are an Edging teacher when they're doing the application. We have a lot of fun at the same time while we have a lot of hard work. I know we've got a couple of weeks left of the year and we're all looking forward to our holidays because the only real holiday teachers have is in December. <laughs> Everyone who says, oh, the other holidays, <laughs> that's where we're setting all the exams and getting our admin up to date. Mm. And I'd really like to encourage teachers who really are passionate about being teachers and making a difference and are intentional about their careers and pedagogy and relationships with their learners. Listen to what we are talking about here. Look at the application process. Read between the lines because there's a lot of hidden curriculum in our process that filters out what we're looking for and prepare yourself for a journey, for a ride that you might not have thought teachers could actually have. Julian, I want to thank you very much for being an amazing math teacher, um, for really putting your mark on Eduink and leaving, you know, a great legacy for Lauren to step into. And I know that Lauren has left a great legacy in the short time she's been in the space for math literacy for a teacher to step into. And that's the position we're busy hiring for right now, the math, the math lit teacher and the grade seven and eight teacher, because that's what the senior math department is from grade seven to matric. You two are the custodians of that. And our marks and the students' efforts speak to your dedication to that. So well done. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Um, Julian's shoes are definitely big. And um, I'm hoping that I fill them adequately, but we're definitely going to have you back. He's going to be checking in on you. You do know this. <laughs> <laughs> You're more than welcome to come check in on us, and we're going to miss you a lot. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's been it's been an incredible journey. Um, I've learned a lot over the years. Um, yeah, it's it's not been a smooth ride. It's been a lot of bumps along the way, but it's been very productive. I learned a lot more. Um, than in the previous school I worked at. So I'm grateful for that. Thank you, Julian. Thanks for saying that. And there's not many schools where the students get to see the teachers coming up at honors evening in recognition of a master's degree or an honors degree <laughs> or have a teacher who's taking a week off for their PhD. Mm, for the pilot study. For yeah. the pilot study. And you sharing that information and that journey with them. I think it's very powerful and I think it sends a great message of lifelong learning to the, to the students. Mm. Right. So Geek Squad out. Thank you very much for coming through and doing a podcast. And thank you very much for sharing your journeys with us. 
and what EduInc is all about for future EduInc teachers. Look forward to those second panel interviews. <laughs> Good luck to everyone. <laughs> Thanks, <Julie. laughs>